How are you doing this morning? All right, good. It's good to see you. And again, moms, thank you for being superheroes. I really hope you feel loved um, in the gathering this morning. We are swimming through this amazing book that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the book of Romans. And this is the penultimate week. So we're done next Sunday. And that'll be all 16 chapters where, that we've covered. And Paul has, man, is teaching us a lot, has taught me so much as I've prepared to teach this series. And so this morning, we are looking at this theme that he has been talking about. After chapter 12, there was a pivot where Paul talks to us about our lives. And he said, you are to be transformed, inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't look like the world. Look different look set apart. And uh, last week, we looked at how, uh, the, how we are to relate to our governing authorities and how we are to both submit and subvert. And this morning, we're going to look at another potential distraction, and that is disagreements, how to handle disagreements specifically inside of the church. I know that doesn't happen here, right? We don't ever disagree. We are of one mind. That was sarcasm. We do disagree because we are humans. And let me tell you about people. People, we love drama. And that is why we disagree. We, we're like attracted like a magnet. That's why telenovelas are a thing. And if you don't watch telenovelas, you'll find some other show that has some drama in it. Have you ever watched a show and you're like, man, I, I, I'm so drawn to this. And then you, you come to a point where you're like, why am I even watching this? I don't need any more drama in my life. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. Maybe two of you else in here. We love Drama, And so Paul is teaching this multicultural church how to disagree well. I love that he's not trying to convince them, hey, that person's right, this person's wrong. He does that in other letters. But in this case, in chapters 14 and 15 of Rome, he's actually telling them, hey, disagree well. Disagree with love. And so this morning, my hope is that we walk out here knowing how to disagree like saints. So you can go home and tell your mom, what did you, when she asked, what did you learn at church? You can say, I learned that uh, we uh, had to disagree like a saint, to which you'll probably decide, who called you a saint? You ain't no saint. Uh, but in reality, when we are in Christ, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, according to the Bible, is a saint. So you can say, hey, mom, the Bible says I'm a saint, so I'm a saint. We disagree about little things and big things. Let me t talk to you about a very big thing that we disagree about. We, you know, I spent the week thinking about what, what, what is just this divisive topic that I can bring up on Sunday morning to stir up the, the church, and it came clear to me. Corn versus flour tortillas. <laughs> See? I want, you to, I want you to expose yourself and, and be vulnerable in the house of the Lord and, and tell me, who, who's flour? All day, flour. I knew it. I knew it. I judged you ahead of time. Corn, where are my corn people at? Hey, that's it. Let me tell you something, flour people. I'm obviously a corn guy. Corn is healthier for you, and it's more delicious. So we disagree on things. All right, here's another one. Chili with beans or no beans? I know. I know. I know. You came in here as friends. You won't leave here as friends. You're going to be stirred up. Who's chili, no beans? Chili's got no. Wow, that was unexpected. Who's chili with beans? Whew. All right. 
I'm going to have you stand up now here on that side, and then we'll just have an all-out brawl. See, see who wins. Let's settle this once and for all. Here's what was happening in the church in Rome. They were disagreeing about food. They were disagreeing about the holy day, which day was the holiest, and then they were disagreeing about drinking wine. Those were the three things all those days ago, all those thousands of years ago, those three disagreements. The two sides were the Jewish people and the Gentile people. The Jewish people obviously were like Jesus. They they came from Abraham, and then the Gentile people were anybody that wasn't a Jewish person. You or me, maybe. Maybe there's some of us in here that are Jewish. However, the Gentiles were saying, all these things are allowed. All of these things are permissible. It doesn't matter which day of the week you celebrate the Sabbath, the holy day. It doesn't matter what you eat. You can eat vegetables. You can eat meat. Uh, It doesn't matter. You can drink some wine. Just don't drink too much of it. The Jewish folks were very strict. They're saying Sabbath is only Friday to Saturday, a holy day, that's, that's the Sabbath. Uh, food, no meat, only vegetables, and no wine. Those were the things that Paul is writing about. And the bottom line, again, is, man, there is supposed to be harmony in the house of the Lord. We should come to one another and know how to disagree well on these open-handed issues. There are closed-handed issues that we'll talk about in this message that we all need to be in agreement on if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians. But there are these open-hand issues that we need to disagree well with. What are some other ones? Well, in this church a few years ago, this is how harmonious we are, and I mean that. We changed the color of the walls and the color of the carpet at the same time. That was about three years ago. And Very few people, at least I didn't hear of it. Maybe I'll hear about it after this message. We didn't complain. In some churches, this is true. The church splits over preferences such as the color of the walls and the color of the carpets. That's what can happen if we don't heed what the Word of God says in Romans 14 and in Romans 15. So... Let's go ahead and uh, talk about the end first. Why does this really matter? And then we'll talk about four points on how to disagree like saints. Here's the end. It's the last verse that we're going to read this morning, 1513 of the book of Romans, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. If we face disagreements for peace sake, for joy's sake, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, we will have this hope, this common unity as followers of Christ that then um, can bring about a healthy disagreement because we're not all called to be the same. Wouldn't that be so boring if we were all alike in every way? It's like a piano that has multiple keys. If we all sounded the same, that would not be a song that anybody would listen to. But we all represent different notes on the piano that when put together in the right way makes beautiful harmony. This message is about two things. It's about the church It's not about uh, uh, our relationship with those that are outside the church that that have yet to call Jesus their Lord and Savior, although I do think the principles still apply, but the focus is inside of the church. And the second thing, it's talking about disagreements that are not transgressions. What do I mean by that? 
Whenever someone offends another believer, that's another uh, uh, conversation. Matthew 18 makes that clear where Jesus said, go straight to the person that hurts you, that sinned against you. And if you have resolved it, you have won your brother or your sister over. And then you can bring others as afterwards if that doesn't resolve the issue. So we're not talking about transgressions. We're just talking about disagreements and we're talking about issues inside the church. If you get that, can I hear an amen? All right, so how to disagree like a saint, here is the first point. We need to find conviction. We need to find our conviction. Here is what Paul says in Romans 14, 1 through 5. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Again, there's two people. There's the Gentiles over here that they're like, I can eat anything in Christ. And then there's people over here, I can only eat vegetables. And what he's saying is that if you're over here, we are not to show contempt. Another word for that is arrogance. When we look down on others. And if you're over here, what he's saying is, hey, you should not judge. That's what he says in verse four. Who are you to judge? Someone else's servant to their own master. Servants stand or fall and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Here is the point. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. We have to find conviction. Now, there are important convictions that all Christians should have, all followers of Jesus should abide by, and then there's these smaller preferences that are more open-handed. Some examples of a closed-handed argument. I would say that this one is the most important one. We believe that everything that is written in here is inerrant. That means it is perfect without fault. It is the absolute word of God, and so we Come under whatever it says. Otherwise, it's Jose's interpretation versus somebody else's interpretation. We believe who God says he is in here, and we believe who we are according to what is said here. That is a close-handed argument. If we disagree on that, it will not go well. The rest of the conversation may not go well. We believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. That means that he was fully God and he was fully man. That's really important doctrine to hold on to. And so some of the more open-handed arguments are, well, should we do a helicopter Easter egg drop on Easter? You know, and, and, and here's the point that this is saying. If you have it, then what's the conviction behind it? And as the one who called somebody in community group and said, hey, do you know anybody that has a helicopter? To which they answered yes. I'm like, wouldn't it be fun to drop some eggs off of a helicopter? To which it happened because they were available. The conviction of that was to have some fun with the eggs and the helicopter and the kids and to celebrate as a community and invite and welcome other people in here to hear the most important message, and that is the gospel of Jesus. So that, that is an open-handed conviction. What's another one? Uh, we baptize 
in a horse trough. Did you know that that was a horse trough out there that is, that is filled up? Why? Because we want to leave our gathering and gather outside to welcome uh, new believers as they uh, submit their lives to Jesus when we go underwater and then come out and, and represent being washed and living now clean forever and ever thanks to what Jesus has done for us. That is, that is how we roll in this church. Those are open-handed. There are many different ways that you can do that. The point, again, we should be fully convinced. And, and you may be over here, and you're like, you know, I'd rather be flexible and open and not be super strict over here, to, to, to which Paul also is saying we, we, need to, we need to have some sort of conviction, because here's what he says later on in verses 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. It, sh- it falls short of the standard that God requires. Why? Because God wants us to live faithfully, to invite him into every decision, the small ones and the big ones alike. And so we need to find that conviction. Right now, I know there are some of us that are looking for that direction, that conviction about a big picture, a big decision that may be life-altering in some way or another. There are multiple things that that circumstance can look like, but we can find that inner, that conviction. Another word for that is an inner knowing, this, this peace that God gives us that allows us to make these decisions, again, in faith, not because of a lot of empirical proof, but in faith. There is this uh, flow chart that I have, Christian decision-making. I got it from uh, Vaughn Roberts. And so if you are over here a little bit more flexible, needing some conviction, ask these questions. Number one, does the Bible allow it? If it's a no, then do we do it? No, we don't do it. Why? Because the Bible said, so I won't sing the song. And the second question is, does my conscience allow it? Do I have conviction that this is good? The answer is no, don't do it. The answer is yes. These three follow-up questions I think are really important. And they ask, what is the effect on other Christians? Because loving others is more important than being right. And then, what is the effect on non-Christians? Because our witness and, and them believing the gospel is more important than my rights whether I'm able to do this or that. And then this third question, what is the effect on my spiritual life? If the answer is affirmative, and then do it for God's glory. And so we need to be a convicted people. Our culture needs Christians that are convicted on God's truth. That when we say no, we stand firm in the no, and we explain why because I believe that there's a better way for me. I believe that God's way is the best way, right? We get to explain that as we stand in conviction. So question for us, who draws the line? That's another way to talk about conviction. Am I drawing my own lines? Am I creating borders around my uh, decisions, my life, or am I trusting God's way? Am I saying, no, I'm, 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 because I'm a follower of Christ, I'm not going to do this. It's not because even I, I don't want to. It's because I trust that his way is best, and I'm going to submit to him instead of submit to my desires. 
Here's another quote that some people say is uh, St. Augustine of Hippo. Others say as modern as Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And so we know the line and we hold the line. And now we need this key word, discernment. The next point is we pass on grace, not judgment. How do we disagree like saints? We pass on grace, non judgment. Verse 10, Paul writes this, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Let, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. We need to pass on grace, not judgment. Now, we need to judge right versus wrong. We need to know what God says is right and believe it and follow it and, and not try to determine that on our own uh, uh, way. But Passing judgment is different. Passing judgment is synonymous to condemnation. Having judgment is actually called discernment, knowing right versus wrong. We are to have discernment. We should not pass on judgment, and that is this condemning others for their views, for their actions, for their worlds. Why? Well, he's calling out. Why do you pass judgment, brother or sister? We're actually all equals here. On We don't have the authority to pass judgment. In a family unit, a brother can't rebuke sister or sister doesn't have the authority to rebuke brother. Whose authority is that? It's mom and dad's. It's the same way in, in, in our faith. We believe that God is the ultimate judge. And the scripture is clear that he will come back. Jesus will return to judge. And so we leave that to him, and instead of passing on judgment, we pass on grace for the kingdom. Verse 17, of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Here's a question for us. Do I lean more towards judgment or towards curiosity? If you want to find a remedy for judgment, if you find yourself, I can't believe that he's swearing that. I can't believe that she's doing that. I can't believe that he's worshiping like this. I can't believe that he's not worshiping like this and worshiping like this. Lead with curiosity. Why, why are they contemplating in, in that way, why, why, why are we singing worship songs the way that we are? If we lead with curiosity, we will find our way further on the journey of empathy. And we will learn to accept one another and to care for one another and love one another in a deeper way. We also are to build up sacrificially. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. 
We who are strong, so he's talking to uh, the, the Gentiles here, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, why are they called? Paul, couldn't you have figured out another word than strong or weak? Who wants to be weak? No one wants to be weak, right? That Greek word is actually able and unable. So the Gentiles were able to worship any day of the week. They were able to eat anything that they wanted. They were able to drink a little bit of wine. Again, not too much, just a little bit of wine. Good for the stomach, Paul, according to uh, when, he, when he's talking to Timothy. The, the Jews were unable to because of their strict uh, uh, way that they wanted to still worship the way that the Torah, the way that the Old Testament was to worship. And so he's saying, hey, you who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. When we bear with one another, it's no longer about me. When, when I'm about building others up, I am no, I'm no longer concerned about building up my arguments, building up my rightness. I'm, I'm now building someone else up sacrificially. It's costing something, right? Well, what's Paul saying here? It cost Jesus something. He's quoting Psalm 69 which says that Christ bore the insults from us and for us. We were the ones that fell short of God's standard, not, not Jesus. And yet he bore the weight of our iniquity and our transgressions. He was the perfect sacrifice. That is who we Christians are to be to one another and to this world, people that build up. Question for us, do my words and actions build up or do they tear down? I love that verse four, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they, they, may, they provide, we might have hope. So I'm about the whole Bible, the whole storyline of scripture is pointing us to a better tomorrow when God comes back to fully redeem us, where we will no longer have any disagreements, but we will finally be of one mind and heart with God. We're not there yet, and so we have to bear with one another and build each other up. And lastly, we are to live to glorify God. Here is how he closes this section in verse five of chapter 15. May the God who gives encouragement, endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that, again, he's talking about scripture, the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So he's talking about the promises for God's people, the Jews, the Israelites, and now God's people, thanks to Jesus, the Gentiles, and the rest of the world. We do not live on this earth to prove our rightness, to show our resume and say, aren't I great? We are put on this earth 
to boast about what God has done for us and say, isn't what he did great? Isn't he wonderful? And isn't he awesome? We do it for his glory. Question, am I living for myself or for God? I want to sum uh, this message up with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. He, he, he was talking in a similar way to the church in Corinth when he wrote, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Let's put those points back up. How to disagree like a saint. Let's find conviction, pass on grace, not judgment, build up sacrificially and live to glorify God. The good news is the more that we do this in here, the more it will overflow in every facet of our life and reach those that, that are looking for significance and looking for meaning. I celebrated a baptism after the nine o'clock and uh, it was the best Mother's Day present that I think any mom would ask for. And that was a mom and a dad baptizing their nine-year-old son. And uh, it reminded me of what the mission ultimately is. It, it is to outwardly express what God is doing in us inwardly. And that, that, that's what this is all about. We can talk about who is right about this or who's wrong about that, but we'd be missing the point. The common denominator is Jesus, what he is doing in us. The more we focus in on that, the more we will see that overflow in the world. By the way, this is a fun story. We got a call from Wimberley Water this uh, past few weeks. It's never a good thing. And they asked, hey, your water bill is up. Are you uh, irrigating you know, your grass? Obviously not. And so we looked into like, well, why is our water bill up? Do you know why the water bill is up? Because we have been filling that horse trough week after week after week. And so my hope is that would continue to happen in this place, that we would allow God to be our common denominator and give all glory to him. Let us disagree well like saints. Anybody with me? If you're able, please stand. Let's close in prayer and then we'll close with some worship. We thank you, Lord, for your gospel message that is filled with your source of power that is changing lives. Lord, I thank you for the many stories right now in this church family of redemption, of reconciliation, of rescue. And Lord, we pray for many more. We want to glorify you, Jesus. Thanks to what you have done for us. Thank you for coming down. Thank you for bearing our insults and for bearing with our insults. Thank you for living a perfect life in being the perfect sacrifice so that we could be one again with God, our creator. And so I do want to invite anybody in the house that has yet to say yes to Jesus. And something this morning prodded your heart. I want to invite you to surrender your life to him. In Romans 10, a couple chapters ago, we learned that God's word says, whoever 
confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead will be saved. And so I want to invite you to do that, to confess with your mouth and say these words, repeating after me, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you and I receive the free gift of grace thanks to your life, death, and resurrection. I commit to living for you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. And I also want to invite anyone that needs some prayer. This is God's house. This is a house of prayer. So I'll, we'll have people here to my left and, and to my right up front, and then the gap is this room. To my left, to your right, in the back. You're more than welcome to come forward and receive some prayers. We close, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy.